and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for joining us here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here as well. Jam-packed Tuesday for you here today. Our friend Denise McAllister will be joining us at the bottom of the hour about uh, her new book, which uh, is is timed perfectly for Valentine's Day for the guys, actually, I think. Uh, that's rare, uh, but uh, we'll get into that here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, some fake news or not. Pop Culture Tuesday, we're going to get into the movie that ended up winning Best Picture the other night, Parasite. Both Todd and I have seen it. I, I mean, Aaron had some end tables or something to do apparently yeah. get around to it yeah so that was great but before we get to all of that speaking of aaron here's his rundown of what happened while we were away what happened while we were away brought to you by primary day the final real clear politics average of new hampshire polls shows bernie sanders holding a commanding lead of over seven points against pete Buttigieg. No other candidates are cracking the teens in the state. Sanders' surrogates rallied in New Hampshire, and so did President Trump last night. The Democrat Party wants to run your health care, but they can't even run a caucus in Iowa. We have made do with crumbs for so long. And Bernie has said, hey, we're starving in this country. We can't subsist on these crumbs anymore. Why can't we demand the whole pie? Does anybody know who won Iowa? A neo-fascist believes that the rule of big military and big money dividing people up by their color, by their class, by their sexual orientation, by their religion or non-religion to ensure we at each other's throats rather than confronting the elites at the top. My brother Bernie Sanders said no. I think they're trying to take it away from Bernie again. I think Bernie came in second. Can you believe it? They're doing it to you again, Bernie. They're doing it to you again. Joe Biden, in one of the 10 percent of times he's actually coherent, said yesterday there's no way you can protect yourself from the American military. So no need for guns. Flack is if you're going to take on the government, you need an F-15 with Hellfire missiles. There's no way an AK-47 is going to take care of you if, the, if you're going to take on, you're worried about the government coming down, knocking down your door. A new Quinnipiac national poll post-Iowa caucus shows Bernie Sanders leading the Democratic field with 25 percent. Joe Biden is in second at 17 percent. And Mike Bloomberg is in third at 15 percent. Pete Buttigieg is way down in fifth at 10 percent. Quinnipiac also came out with a new general election poll. The poll shows Trump losing to Bloomberg, Sanders, Biden, Klobuchar, Warren, and Buttigieg. Speaking of Mike Bloomberg, he's in hot water with Democrats for these comments from 2015, where he talked about New York City's controversial stop and frisk policies. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one and all. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. Let's get caught up on some weird news, shall we? A professor of feminism and queer theory at the University of Anglia Ruskin in the United Kingdom has a new book coming out where she extols the virtues of 
letting the human race go extinct. According to the publication Cambridgeshire Live, Patricia McCormack says her book titled The A-Human Manifesto is full of, quote, radical compassion which cares for the world. It's not about our death so much as it's about celebrating the tools that exist to care for a decelerating Earth. People wonder why I don't think humans are exceptional dominant beings, but when I ask them why they think that, I never get a good answer back, end quote. Learning Canaanite today, today's phrase is, it puts the child in the flames or it gets the hose again. A new Korean television show purports to reunite loved ones with their deceased family members using virtual reality. The clip we're watching is a mother interacting with a digital version of her dead seven-year-old daughter. A Twitter user by the name of Lilo, the autistic queer, went viral recently after she slammed Fitbit for its female health tracker on its swatches. She said, quote, Hey, Fitbit support, I love the female health tracker in your app. However, I am not female and I menstruate. Many trans and intersex people are in this position and feel alienated from menstrual health access. Could you please change the name to the neutral term menstrual health? Starbucks United Kingdom has launched a new campaign for a transgender charity program, along with this ad depicting a young girl changing her name to the masculine version. Carol, you remember my Gemma? Gemma? (laughs) And what's your name? It's James. James? Andrew Yang is facing criticism for his comments on late-term abortion. I think we have to get back to the point where no one is suggesting that we be celebrating an abortion at any point um, in the pregnancy. That there was a time in democratic circles where we used to talk about it being something that like, you don't like to see, but that should be within the freedoms of, of the woman and the mother to decide. A blue check mark with her doctorate says, quote, it's time for Yang to drop out. This take on abortion is completely disqualifying. Using this type of language is part of the forced birth movement. And finally, the Iowa Democratic Party held a press conference yesterday where they tried to put a bow on the unmitigated bungling of last week's Iowa caucuses when this happened. Sheets are signed not only by the precinct chair and the precinct secretary, For those of you listening, what we're watching is the sign on the podium falling off while party chairman Troy Price speaks to the media. And that's what happened while we were away. Outstanding montage today. Outstanding. Well, thank you. 888-900-3393 is the number here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show to let us know what you think about what we think. That's D-E-A-C-E. Also try. Emphasis on try. Liking us on Facebook, just look up my name. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. And we are always putting up, uh, this is a new edition now. We're putting up tons of free content for you at youtube.com slash Steve Dace that uh, you can sample if you're a podcast listener or if you're a Blaze TV subscriber and you want to help us spread the word to find more people like you. Uh, some free samples there for you at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Aaron's montage brought to you by our good friends over at Books. Time is running short, men. And yes, you are being tested. Oh, yes. It, in fact, I almost feel like I shouldn't even read this. I mean, if you really believe 
she didn't she say this last year and the year before that if you really believe it when she says i don't i don't i don't really want anything for valentine's day you're you're too stupid to live frankly all right i i mean but for those of you that are are, are have just encountered the the female side of the species in just the last 5 minutes let me let me try to give you a tip all right you're you're being tested and that's not true all right it's a test not to mention, she deserves it anyway, right? That's where Books comes in. They've got you covered. That's Books, B-O-U-Q-S, as in bouquets. All right. Uh, you can get uh, farm-fresh, sustainably sourced flowers for next or same-day delivery. We've had these at our house. They're absolutely gorgeous, and you can order today. And get 25% off your entire purchase just in time for Valentine's Day. When you go to books.com slash Steve, B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash Steve, and use the offer code Steve when you go to check out. All right. Books.com slash Steve. Use the offer code Steve at checkout to get that 25% off. And that's your entire order. It's not just if you want to do roses. They've got plants, other arrangements there, tons of gifts and uh, sweet treats as well. Everything you need to pass the Valentine's Day test. All right. Books.com slash Steve. B-O-U-Q-S. Books.com slash Steve. Promo code Steve to get 25% off. We're going to talk about what happened with the Iowa Democratic Party and whether this is a unique circumstance or something that um, could end up becoming a, a emblematic of what's trending nationwide for them in 2020. We're going to get into that today with the overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you're already a subscriber, cool. Uh, it'll be up there for you later today. If not, go there right now and get a discounted subscription. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. Let's go to the montage. And and I want to we haven't talked about national polling in this primary a lot only to point out that it's been it's largely irrelevant. Because the first few states and and, and I want to reset why we've been telling you for about a year it's irrelevant. Because it, if you have an opinion about this in Montana or Oregon um or or, or Maryland by the time the process gets to you, most of these candidates are not going to be viable and or even in the race whatsoever. So it, these are just, uh, they're, they're, it's fodder for content. That, that's really what it is, fodder for content, but irrelevant. The only opinions that mattered, I said, were in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. It's with me so far? Yeah. But we are rapidly approaching the point, however, well, that will not necessarily be true any longer once we get past South Carolina. And the reason why is we're going to get now into, in, into things like March 3rd as Super Tuesday. We're going to have cluster voting in numerous states. These candidates are not going to have the opportunity to just sit there and spend you know, six, seven, eight, nine months getting to know individual activists and voters in all of those states with, with that truncated of a calendar. And the, and the field's going to be winnowed. I, I think it may be substantially winnowed after tonight, in fact. And so the, we're, we're still not there yet where I think national primary polling is relevant. But once we get past South Carolina, I do think it becomes more relevant. Because, and, and I think this Quinnipiac poll is kind of a proto version of, of what it begins to look like as the field takes shape. It winnows and and people's slotting in the field becomes better known. 
what you're seeing with Joe Biden, for example, is is all of his support was predicated on name ID. And, you know, I think he's got the best chance to beat Donald Trump. If you take that off the table for him, he has no other argument for, for this nomination other than the electability argument. And once that once that balloon is popped, he's he's not a candidate now. He's a bubble. He's what we told you on this show eight or nine months ago. He's Jeb Bush 2020. I mean, even as recently as last week, some really smart people were still clinging to the, well, I mean, it's just Iowa because they're looking at these national polls that are irrelevant. So we, we've been telling you on this show, I think pretty much since like the, after the second debate, he's not going to be the nominee. He's not. He has, he has no rationale for his candidacy other than electability. And when, when the rationale for your candidacy is electability and, and you lead these fake national polls that are just, you know, beauty contests for a year, and then the first time there's actual voters, you're a distant fourth and almost fifth, you know, your IPO has, has face-planted. And, and now we're in New Hampshire, and he's trying to lower expectations. Guys, he's been, he has been a fi- fixture in New England politics as the senator from the state of Delaware since before Todd and I were alive. And he's trying to, you know, underplay expectations because he's going to face plant there tonight, too. He's done. He's been done for a while. But Iowa mortally wounded him. And so, I mean, this is just a dead body now bleeding out. Everybody agrees it's, it's it, no triage can help. And you're just trying to make him as comfortable as possible for his last few breaths. That's, that's what's happening here. You're watching a, a politician bleed out in real time. And he may eventually decide just to, you know, and put himself out of his own mis- misery. And maybe that happens after tonight. Maybe it happens after South Carolina. But once we get past South Carolina, these national polls are going to be more relevant now because the calendar gets shorter and the amount of states that are going to vote um, become more um, become more conglomerated. And these are going to be more name ID races. And when we get to that point, here's here's the things to look for. Are Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren still in this race? Like if you're Elizabeth Warren and you had the best organization in Iowa, everybody agreed to that. You were even leading the final Des Moines Register poll in Iowa about, what, two weeks before the vote. You were leading that. Uh, No, you weren't leading that. You were a close second to Bernie Sanders, I should say. You were a close second. But then you get that newspaper's endorsement. And then you are a distant third on caucus day. And again, you're, you're the senator um, of Massachusetts, Boston is considered the lead television market in New Hampshire. Um, I mean, that's like the number one television market in the New Hampshire primary is Boston, which is in another state. So you, this is your neighboring state. If, if you finish way behind tonight or behind an A.B. Klobuchar tonight, I, I don't know what the rationale for your candidacy is other than you just want to be humiliated more. Like, you know, this viral video of Joe Biden, or no, it was Elizabeth Warren at the diner, and nobody wants to talk to her. Here's what you need to know. That actually happens when you're in first place. That, that happens when you're in first place, too. People in Iowa and New Hampshire have seen these candidates a million times. They're just not impressed. And, and a lot of these are people that have been doing this process for decades in both parties, and they're just not typically starstruck unless a, an outlier figure like a Donald Trump that was a celebrity before running 
steps in and then you're like, well, this is something new. But if it's just a run of the mill senator, congressman, uh, governor, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, ridden hard, put away wet. I mean, you, you've done this a million times. You're not impressed. So if they would have followed Elizabeth Warren around when she was leading the polls, they would have gotten that exact same video. I promise you. But they're not looking for stuff like that when the candidate is, pre- is, is presumed to be doing well. So they're, they're, they're just not that story. That angle is not on the, is just not in, in their periphery because they're, that's not the narrative that's going right now. And so they're looking, that stuff becomes more apparent when you're flailing like Elizabeth Warren is. So if, if she would like more stories like that, if, if, you know, she decides, you know, I'm, this is, you know, this is my political version of joining CrossFit. I just, I, I need to be humbled. Um, and reminded of my delusions of adequacy, let me continue on. Other than that, there's really no rationale. If she's trying, unless she's trying to get a jump on Lent, there's uh, there's no rationale for just living out Ash Wednesday every single day if she finishes anywhere near where the polls have her finishing tonight. And so when the field winnows, what you're looking for is how much how much has Michael Bloomberg really just bought himself a section of of the electorate because of the outrageous amount of money he is spending in these states beyond beyond South Carolina, beginning with Super Tuesday. That's number one, okay? And and you can say, well, Steve, it looks like he bought himself 15%. Well, that's what he bought himself before Michael Bloomberg is a racist, was trending worldwide number one uh, this morning. That's what he bought himself. So let's find out what he bought himself in about 48 hours. (laughs) All right? The number might be a tad different. Okay? You hate to see it, too. I mean, one of the absolute worst corporatist horrors the Republican Party has ever, has ever birthed, okay, uh, is Michael Bloomberg. So you just hate to see it with a guy like, no, you don't. No, no. Back yeah. For me, I'm I'm enjoying it actually quite a bit. Um, uh, the other thing you're looking for is when do we hit an acceptance stage with Bernie Sanders? Because that that's the question that's going to tell you if this is going to go to a convention or not. Is that one? Because he's not going anywhere, and his support not going anywhere, and he's going to win California on Super Tuesday, more than likely. And. What you're what you're going to try to glean is are there enough are there enough other segments in the Democratic Party that think he's toxic enough as a general election nominee? Like how many James Carvilles are there? All right, how many people does he truly represent? Because he's making the rounds right now. I mean, he is making the rounds right now, and that's a guy that you can see him working. He wants to get on the record right now for what happens in November that he thinks will happen with Jeremy Corbyn as their nominee. So he can be all over television the day after saying, see, I told you so we need to go back to the Bill Clinton era. That that's the play. I believe James Carville is making. Now I think James Carville is about to find as Andrew Yang has discovered. Um, he's a man out of time. There's not a political party for him. Uh, I think James, if that's James Carville's play, I think he's going to find that, uh, that was the, that was the democratic party of yesteryear. There, there's, there's not going to be a, um, a, a, a DLC version 2.0 like we saw in the 1990s. That's not happening. All right. Um, but I think that's Carville's play is to, is to throw his marker out there now and then come back the Wednesday, first Wednesday in November and say, see, I told you so. All right. And this is why we've got to be more of a working class, 
working class values, centrist party. We can be pro-gay marriage, but we can't be bake the cake, bigot, et cetera. That, that's the play I think he's making. But I, I think that's from a, a, another a bygone era. Good luck with that. Um, what you're watching, though, is are there enough other factions in this party that are willing to fight Bernie all the way? Because we're still seeing him struggle to grow and expand his base. He is still struggling to expand his base with no, and it's with no real clear alternative to him right now either. Pete Buttigieg can do very well tonight, but we just did this exercise yesterday. We went to Super Tuesday. We're going to go to South Carolina. We're going to have a brief stop in New Hampshire and then go to South Carolina. We all know he's not winning there. The gay guy's not winning there. And we went through the 12 states on Super Tuesday just yesterday, Todd. And, And being the most favorable to him we could, we thought he could maybe win three of them. Right, right. That's a guy that cannot win the nomination outright. Then he just he can't do it. And I think with the with the, the next question that's going to be on the table, if 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 blue if Buttigieg can't win any place, um, that Democrats already are unlikely to lose. And if Michael Bloomberg is going to get tagged as being a racist for stop and frisk and everything else and, and what he's on audio saying, hey, we just profile people as black and Hispanic in New York. We know they're likely to be the criminals. Right? That's essentially what this audio that's making the rounds is yes. saying, right? Okay. So if Bloomberg's a racist and Buttigieg can't win anywhere except the same 15% of counties Hillary Clinton won when she lost, then the, the argument the Democrats are going to have to have is, is, is Bernie Sanders so toxic that we're going to fight this guy all the way to a convention and deny him a majority. Which, by the way, I don't believe there's, they have any shot of defeating Bernie Sanders at a convention. He, his people will burn. They will, Kristallnacht, Reichstag fire, that's what they will do to Milwaukee. Got any family in Milwaukee left? No. Good, I was going to say, get him out before Sanders' people show up for a contested convention. Get out of Dodge. Summer somewhere else, okay? So, that's the argument. Do we fight him to deny him an outright majority and force a convention? Or do we make our peace with it right now? Try to see if we can get him to cut a deal. Maybe he put, I don't think you have much luck, but you know, I'm not in your party. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if we cut a deal in April, he'll put a Klobuchar on the ticket. You know, he'll give us something that we can sell that, you know, isn't full blown. Um, you know, uh, Soviet. He'll give us some perestroika, maybe, if we cut the deal up front. Okay? But that's the choice, I think, that is looming for them moving forward. And that's what you want to look for when we get past South Carolina, when these national polls become more relevant. Do we see a growing block of Democrats that appear to have made that, well, looks like Bernie's going to win, get behind him, got to be Trump. That That's... Those are the trend lines I think you'd look for. Todd, what are your thoughts? See how much joy you were withholding from yourself way back then when I said uh, Sanders had a good shot at this. And you said, no, you, you, you could have been so much happier so much earlier. I, you just, you're feeling so good about things right now. And I, I dig that about you. Yeah, uh, I, I think the only, the only known out of tonight for me now at this point is Sanders. Uh, there's... Uh, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, Klobuchar, some muddy middle in there that's just going to be some some thin gruel for people to hold on as the maybe of how we get past. And there's enough time. Maybe's do turn into something, uh, qu- quite f- 
frequently, especially if somebody who is as easy to demagogue uh, as Bernie Sanders, if you choose, you want to go down that route and risk everything that comes with it. All of the, uh, I mean, he's going to, he, his supporters are going to dial it up to 11. But I, I, I for the most part, uh, Steve's analysis is right on. The, the, the fact that we have arrived uh, at the Bernie Sanders roller coaster as the, as the most ridden ride in the Democrat theme park is just a perfect, perfect ending to decades of playing with fire by this party for the sake of just, you know, we always talk about owning, uh, owning the libs to, to, to own the cons. Uh, and this is the politics you get on both sides. If your number one priority is just hating the other mm-hmm. sooner or later, you will lose control. What do you think, Karen? We're going to see how, how seriously, how seriously Democrats uh, take this process in the southern states. Because yesterday, my problem was when we went through those states on tu- Super Tuesday, I can't really see, I can certainly not see Buttigieg winning many southern states. I can't really see, it just, it sounds weird coming out of the mouth. Uh, Bernie Sanders will win Alabama, you know, that that type mm-hmm. of thing. I can't, so who is then the, the candidate that can maybe come in and, uh, come up through the middle there, and I don't know who that is other than Mike Bloomberg, and I, I think it will all, I think turnout will be the story of the rest of this primary process, at least in the short term. If if turnout is low, that shows you that Democrats really aren't engaged, and Sanders will probably win the nomination easily. Now, if Democrats are concerned about Sanders, a la uh, Joe Biden, you know, a la what, what he's saying about we can't, you, you know, we can't wear this label. Turnout's probably going to be a little bit higher, I would, I would say, probably. And there's going to be a bigger chance that somebody else can maybe pick off a few states like a Mike Bloomberg later on. But at this point, at this point, it's clear and we've been saying this all along, Bernie Sanders has the most engaged and the base that that actually most resembles a base instead of just a constituency or a, a united factions. It's actually they are all in on Bernie. They are feeling the burn, as it were. And right now, again, things can change. Listen to the crazy voices in your head. Right now, it does not appear. It does not appear that anybody really has solid footing to be able to challenge him. And I keep thinking every time I see these national tracking polls as well, any time I see these forecasts from 538 and 8 Silver, and we've been in, you know, he's not doing so hot recently. But anytime I see these forecasts, I keep thinking about how likely is it that we are going to be seeing a brokered convention? Uh, because that was one of your predictions yep. at the at, in your crystal ball predictions. And I think that's still, I mean, it's still got a fairly decent chance of happening but at this point as well, um, if that doesn't happen, then it's likely Bernie will have this thing wrapped up. Amy, Amy Klobuchar needs a rationale for her to be a rallying cry. I mean, I think she could do well enough tonight to absolutely justify hanging in. Yeah. But, but she needs a rationale for why you should see her as, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming to you because I'm desperate, but I think you could actually defeat Bernie Sanders. And what she needs is she needs to show, she needs the opposite of what we on the Cruz campaign used to reboot ourselves after Super Tuesday against Trump. And Oklahoma was the, was the reboot. 
you know, I didn't have a lot of great ideas that the campaign took on a national level once you got past Iowa, but one of them was when the first closed primary in 2016 was Oklahoma, meaning the first time that only Republicans could vote and not crossover because we were seeing a lot and you know, these were all open contests and primaries that Trump was winning and a lot of people that were independents and Democrats were voting in Republican primaries and he was winning these states. Oklahoma was the first closed state and, and Cruz won it. And my suggestion was that that should be our rationale. I remember calling Jason Miller from this office that night as we're working live at Salem Radio and um, also, um, you know, trying to I'm trying to work, you know, cover this all as for, the, for the campaign at the same time. And during a commercial break after Oklahoma was called for Cruz, I remember calling Jason Miller and a couple of other people and saying, hey, this is our rationale for why we're still viable. We finally had a place where only Republicans voted and Ted Cruz beat Donald Trump straight up. And that kind of became one of our turning point talking points for the next month or so. And we did very well with that, by the way. Amy Klobuchar needs one of those. To me, the, the rationale for her candidacy is, if, if I promise you, if the rationale for her candidacy is, it's me or, or, or Sanders, Sanders is going to win. Because when we had to use the rationale, it's us or Trump, everybody else that tried that rationale lost. You, had, you need a rationale that you're better than him, not other than him, better. So what Amy Klobuchar needs is she needs to win a state with a, with a high turnout primary that is a, either a swing state or a place that Democrats aren't thought to, to you know, uh, to, that matters electorally, but Democrats aren't thought to um, always be the favorite there. Like Florida is your quintessential swing state, but Republicans win there most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. She needs a win in a state like that, but with a high turnout, meaning she she brought voters to the polls that's what she needs otherwise she's just the last gasp of temperamental normalcy not named bernie sanders and you know i I suppose she could just john Kasich here and hang out in the race as long as she wants but she's not really a a threat to beat him she needs a win to show she's more than just somebody not named bernie sanders more in a moment You know, it used to be the most exciting part of our, our, our pet Bichon's day was when any of us came home from school or work or practice, just would lose, just lose his mind, launch himself at the door. Okay. Really just very excited when we get home. We have been replaced. Now we just kind of, you know, I walk in the door now. I've been gone for six, seven, eight hours. I walk in, just kind of moseys up, wags his tail, barks once, goes late down. We've been replaced. Because um, now this dog's obsession is um, Rough Green's Vitasmart. I mean, every ounce of energy he has, he expends it first thing in the morning. Just whatever the canine version of, you know, the look you used to have on your face when there was a new Star Wars movie, Todd, when you were a kid. That that's 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 our dog cap right now. He absolutely loves Rough Grains Vita Smart. Filled with probiotics, enzymes, vitamins, healthy microbacteria, 
all the things your dog needs, but is largely stripped from its food. Like a lot of that stuff is stripped and processed out of ours as well. Well, your dog needs a lot of those supplements put back in as well. And that's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes from, or that's where they come in uh, to the equation. It, it, whether you even make your dog's food at home, a lot of the ingredients you're using from home have been stripped of these things as well. So it's not just healthy, but apparently this stuff tastes great. At least that's what, that's what my dog says. Cap, again, short for Captain America. Uh, Cap is obsessed with this product. And if he were here today I, and he had a translator, I am sure he would highly, highly recommend it. All right. So if you want to get uh, the good stuff for your dog as well, both uh, that tastes good, but is good for it as well. Roughgreens.com slash blaze is the website. R-U-F-F. For roughgreens.com slash blaze, roughgreens.com slash blaze, or give them a call at 833-693-6433, 833-693-6433. The name of the book from our good friend Denise McAllister is What Men Want to Say to Women But Can't. She's been our guest several times. Uh, the last few months on the Dace Group Roundtable, and she joins us now to talk about her new book. Good to see you, Denise. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So, it, it, obvious place to start is what do we want to say to you, but we cannot. Let's just take that from the top. What is it? There are a lot of things, and they span from in the home as a father to a lover to in the workplace, what you want to say to female coworkers and to society at large, how men are made as sexual creatures. So one in the workplace is stop complaining about not getting equal pay when you're not doing the equal work. And if you really want all the same exact numbers of jobs as men, then you need to be doing the dirty, dangerous jobs that we do that you don't seem to want. You just seem to covet the CEO positions. Uh, As far as sexuality, uh, listen, ladies, we're attracted to you. We think you're sexy. We have a visual nature. We like to look at you. It doesn't mean we're perverts. It doesn't mean we want to rape you. Um, As Christian men, it doesn't mean we're lusting after other women. We just happen to notice attractive women, and our nature is to be attracted to the physical. Uh, When that goes off into the lust territory, then we're talking about different things. But this is how we're made. Don't try to change us and make us into women. You know, as fathers, listen, mom's way is not always right. And sometimes you just need to let me do my job and be a dad. And that may be rough and tough and cause a lot of anxiety in the household because that's what a man does. He brings children into the realm of responsibility by making them engage with the external world and get out of mommy's soft space of safety. So those are just a few things that men want to say to women. And I unpack those sentiments. I explain why men are saying them why men have a hard time really communicating that to women today, even if they are saying them, they're shut down, called sexist, sexist, patriarchal, uh, mean guys and toxic. And um, I explain why they need to say this and why women need to listen and what's wrong with immature femininity in our day that we're living because of feminism. What possessed you? Do you have a a deep seated desire for, for fewer friends? Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? I have you as a friend. 
What, what, what possessed you to write? Are you like, you know what, man, my, my mobile phone is ringing off the hook. I've got no time. Too, much, uh, too many people want me to come and speak at their events. I, I've got to come up with something organic that will limit my uh, calendar so I can, I can just be at home more. And you decided to write this book. I know. I, I just, I can't, I have to speak truth. It's just a compulsion that I have and it gets me into trouble, but it also helps me to uh, just do my duty and my part that I think God has put me on this planet to do. And sometimes that means people won't like me very much, but I'm not here for a popularity contest. By it's That's quite obvious. Uh, I'm here because I really believe that uh, God has made men and women a certain way and that he's designed us um, for a purpose and we're not living according to that. And people are suffering. And if you don't like my message, at least listen to it. Maybe we can find some common understanding and common ground um, to bring some solutions to our broken society and our polarized society. And I, you know, I just hope people will listen. But you know, if you don't like what I'm saying, and I'm sure feminists don't, um, but maybe they'll hear and hear a little bit of truth ringing in their ears and make them change a little bit. I think what's important about what you're saying is. You know, we, we live in this culture right now where we just refuse to accept that two things can be true at the same time. Everything everything has to be. Well, everything except which God has clearly declared as binary. Everything else other than those things has to be binary, right? And and so the implication with, with a book like this is that you're saying that, well, that must mean men are never wrong and there's never, because we're children. We, we, we can't see any distinctions whatsoever. And you know what I see in our house, because my wife is, is going to Liberty right now and she's about finished with her second master's in biblical counseling. And so these topics come up in our home quite a bit, particularly because I've spent a good deal of time being mentored in men's ministries and mentoring other guys, is she always wants to give men the benefit of the doubt and she just crushes women. And I am the other way around, all right? Like, I, I, give, I give dudes, like, no quarter at all. Like, I, I believe everybody is, has total depravity, but it's capital T when it comes to guys. And I, and I always want to give women the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I think that complementary nature in the way that we see things, I think it actually helps us to kind of maintain a bit of a balanced view on these topics when we discuss them. Does that make any sense to you at all? That I think, I think a woman needed to write this because if a guy had it would it would begin with the assumption that you're imposing your will somehow or you're um this this begins from only a nefarious premise well i think that god has designed us like you said complementary and i also think that he's designed women to speak to each other and i don't think we do that in a wise way enough and i think that we don't value older women and we don't value wisdom in our society when we really should. And I think that, like, you're right. I mean, you're harder on men, and obviously I'm harder on women. I, I do not give women the benefit of the doubt as much as I should, because uh, I think we should give all people the benefit of the doubt. But um, I'm particularly critical of women, because like you, you know men. Mm-hmm. I know women. <laughs> you know, so well, while men are over there trying to say, oh, they're, they're, they don't quite mean that, or they really are not as nasty as they seem to be in the workplace, they, they really have other issues going on. I'm like, no, no, they're, they're, they're nasty, and there's a reason, and, and they need to be called out on it and explained even to themselves about why they act that way and, and how it causes disruption and how they don't compete 
in the same way that men compete and how that that has a strong bearing on how they interact in the workplace, not only just with men, but with other women. And these are conversations that we often don't have. And you're right. Men cannot have them. It's hard enough in a in a society where men are, are honored and respected. It's really tough in this society that where men have been demonized. I remember a conversation I had with a guy uh, within the last few years that was frustrated with his wife. And the, the, the frustration was that um, let herself go. She's in sweatpants almost every day when I come home from work. I rarely see her in makeup, things of that nature. Um, sometimes I have to even pick in. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the breadwinner. I'm, I work all these hours. Sometimes I've got to step in and do the dishes and things of that nature. I mean, what goes on in this home all day long when, um, when I'm not here that, uh, you know, I've now got to do her job as well. If I just decided I'm not going to shower or work, you know, everyone would jump on me as a terrible husband and a terrible example. How come this doesn't work both ways? We had several conversations along these lines, him and I did. I'm curious though, how, what's your view of that conversation? Because one of the things I've learned from my wife and her counseling is that in any disagreement, there, it takes two to tango. It might be 50%, 99%, 1%. So whatever, whatever percentage of the, of, of the conflict that you are responsible for, you have to take responsibility for that, right? So I was always telling him, hey, I, you know, that's your side of the story, but you know, where, what are you not doing right? Where, 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 are, where are you falling short? Where, where, where are your expectations too high? Or where, where are you not nurturing enough? But how would you respond to that kind of a dilemma? as a as a woman well you know there's always reciprocity in relationships and you know everyone has their part to play but sometimes you really do need to get down to the problem at hand and and everyone look at themselves of how they are contributing and if they are contributing because it's not always equal we always make this assumption that if there's a problem in a marriage there's equal problems causes to go around not always. It can, it, there can be the woman's just being, you know, she may be depressed. Let's set aside that she's depressed or something and that she's just being entitled and not being responsible and taking advantage of, of her husband. Uh, he can have a legitimate complaint while still recognizing that he can only control himself and his own actions and his own responses to that. So there's a lot of counsel that can be given to him just on how to properly respond to the issue and to the problem and not to make it worse. And uh, so that, that, that was a really great counsel to give to him. But, but counsel also needs to be in confrontation, may need to go to the woman and say, you know, what are you doing? Are you thinking in terms of other-centered? Are you thinking in terms of a helpmate? Are you thinking in terms of how can I love my husband today? And in what ways do I love him? You know, and that's where understanding how a man is. I mean, he, a man is very, needs his wife and loves when his wife is, takes care of herself and, and looks appealing to him. Is that everything to him? No. And does he have a lot of grace when she's not? Yes. But if she's not trying at all, then there's something deeper about her love for him that needs to be addressed. And so I, th I think if that makes any sense, you know, helping, sure. what, helping each um, take control of what only they can control, responding as a, in a way that doesn't make it worse and responding out of love, uh, but also owning, you know, when there is a real problem and being able to be honest about it. 
And, and you know, and I, that's a big problem. I hear that from men a lot. My wife has let, let herself go. She doesn't really tend, help me. She doesn't really tend to the house. She doesn't seem to care when I come in the door. I seem like an ATM machine. Uh, sex is out the door. I have to beg for it. It, makes, it humiliates me. Uh, there's a lot of uh, complaints. Now, all a guy's doing is just complaining all the time. Again, you need to help him. Well, you have a responsibility to see how you're contributing, but also a big responsibility on how to properly respond. Right. But, I mean, if it was I just like as simple as if it was just as simple for guys as if my wife wasn't in sweatpants all the time, I wouldn't cheat on her. Well, I mean, Brad Pitt was married to Jennifer Aniston, okay, and he cheated on her. If it was just that simple, it doesn't help. I'm not saying it it, it, it makes it easier, but it, it's not quite that simple. One of the things I see a lot when talking to what my wife does, and then some of the things I've been involved in on the on the receiving and giving end, is I think that. Men confuse and conflate authority with with responsibility, meaning that God has made you the you, you are you are the authority in the home, but it is because you are primarily responsible. It's it's not necessarily because you are um, an authoritarian. I see I'd see men make conflate these two things and then i think women have been sold a bill of goods that the answer to uh their wholeness is to become more like men uh i think those two lies are are knuckle to knuckle against each other right now in american culture well too often i think in a lot of our relationships we think too much in terms of power instead of love and we don't we attach responsibility to authority structures and to power instead of attaching responsibility to love. And I think the the meaning and the purpose that we have in life is to express love and responsibility in our relationships. And that changes everything. That changes the dynamic. And and so what happens when you have these power dynamics is you uh, you have competition and mm-hmm. vying for, for positions of authority instead of. You know, cooperation instead of complementarianism, and, and and instead of you know working together out of love and respecting each other, and respecting each other as designed, uh, and and how God has made you and gifted you to carry out different roles in different positions in life. And I don't talk a lot about roles in my book. I, I really talk more because uh, I don't think those are as fixed as people like to say that they are. I, I talk about purpose, and I think when you understand purpose and design. Right. Um, then a lot of uh, these subjective things more f- flow out of that. But you have to get that foundation right. Because you could have all your roles, all everyone in their little roles traditionally, and yet you not have one big con- one concept about what your purpose is. Who, I've got about a minute and a half here. Who do you want to read this book that it may not be obvious that they should? Well, I don't know if it's not obvious, but I, I mean, I want women who have bought the bill of goods of, of feminism to read this book. I want women who are unhappy, um, who may not have bought the bill of goods, but they have and they don't know it. I want women who are frustrated in their relationships to read this book. And in the same way, I want men to read this book, uh, to be encouraged and also to get gain some insight into how women are and why they're so frustrated with women today. Uh, because we have a lot of immature femininity going around. So I, I really want people who are unhappy <laughs> to read this book. <laughs> that, I'm lonely. That's so. a great endorsement. This book is for unhappy people. <laughs> You're the target audience, which means you, of course, must admit to yourself that you are unhappy. I like that. Uh, Denise, how can people get the book? 
You can get it online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. You can order it from your local bookstore. Uh, just it's, it's out today, so you don't have to pre-order. So you can get it. You can get it on Kindle. It'll be out on audiobook in March. Outstanding. Well, congratulations on the book. And um, by all means, share uh, some of the feedback that you get to this from, from readers uh, on social media and uh, share it with us. I, I will be very curious to see how people react to it because I, I have this a sneaking suspicion a book like this is one of those if you have to ask it's about you kind of things like when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs the one that yelps is the one you hit know what i'm saying yeah if you're if you're yeah if you're offended by it then i wrote it about you yes yes exactly <laughs> yes all right denise good to see you take care god bless thank you you're welcome hey what do you guys think well if you follow her on twitter you know that she's kind of like the female version of you I mean, she, she's made herself so vulnerable by sharing the truth of her background, which is the main reason you should listen to her about this. I mean, when, when you talk about issues like uh, this on the show, you're talking about, listen, I'm not talking down to you guys. I've been there and done that, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so that's what's amazing about her. She, she, she has transformed herself with the words she has spoken. This is not just some dry dissertation. She knows whereof she speaks. I think uh, I have a great wife. That's that's all I have to say. I mean, after after listening to that conversation uh, as well, I mean, there's just so many things um, that she does so well that I'm uh, very blessed to to have her in my life. But uh, as far as the as far as the uh, practical aspect, though, um, going back to the beginning of uh, of the conversation about um, not just in your marriage, but then. How do you relate to people, uh, you know, uh, the, the men in your church, uh, the men that you work with? Those are things that can't be, those are things that cannot be overstated whatsoever because it is, especially in the culture in which we live, that is, uh, it, it is, you, it is such a, a huge aspect, obviously, mm. of being able to survive in a, in a work environment is being able to communicate and to work well with uh, members of the opposite sex and it's probably probably not probably not uh, as ubiquitous as it should be as far as good relationships go we will come back with hour two fake news or not and pop culture tuesday coming your way here next stay tuned and we're back hour two live and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast i am steve dace you are you he's totters and that's aaron mcintyre let us know who you are steve at stevedace.com is how you can drop a line and say hello last name is d-e-a-c if you'd like to email us you can also try Emphasis on try. Liking us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace as well. And finally, if you do listen to us on the podcast, if you haven't yet left us a five-star review, or maybe you already have, but you'd consider leaving us three or four more under your burner accounts, by all means, please keep those coming because the more of those we get, the more people like you we find, the more likely it is we get to continue to do this for you. So thank you to uh, all of you that have left us those five-star reviews already. Please, by all means, keep them coming. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Fake news or not, coming your way, brought to you by our friends at 
Riduzone, they want to give you a reality check. How is that New Year's resolution to lose weight and eat right? How is that going so far? Chances are you're struggling. Dieting alone is very difficult. It's hard to get those cravings and those portion sizes back under control. Thankfully, though, you've got a helper. It's called Riduzone, developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents. Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That is the natural occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your caloric intake at the same time. And Riduzone is only available on its website at riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. That's the website. If you go there right now at riduzone.com, promo code Steve, you're going to get up to 65% off. Massive savings. They'll even throw in free shipping as well. You can't beat it. All right. So give it a shot. Riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. Promo code Steve to get 65% off as well as free shipping. And let's get to it. It is time for fake news or not. Those of you that are new here, we do this a little differently. We, we Last year, we decided we we're going to stop fact-checking enemy media, left America media. These are the propaganda missives of a hostile invading army. There's, it's pointless. So we instead are looking at the people and the platforms that are meant for us. Um, are they the ones telling us the truth or not? And we begin with this one from the White House Law. Our economic growth numbers rely on infrastructure package. We need a trillion dollar infrastructure bill that the president has been talking about for three or four years now. And before that, even then, Nancy Pelosi needs to put an infrastructure bill on the floor of the House of Representatives. And that's crucial to our economic growth numbers going forward, as are better trade deals. Fake news or not, that's Russ Vote who's now the acting head of the Office of Management. He's the budget, of OMB, uh, Office of Management and Budget. You might remember a couple of years ago when he was appointed to be the deputy at his confirmation hearing, he was the one that Bernie Sanders said because he is a Christian that believes uh, that uh, Jesus on the cross is the only atonement atonement that uh, for our sins that satisfies the wrath of God, which I also believe, um, that he couldn't serve in government. That And, and uh, that was uh, because that's obviously very germane to your views on on uh, taxing and spending. Now, knowing Russ by reputation, he has been a budget hawk. So it is interesting to hear him say that a multi-trillion dollar mini New Deal infrastructure program is key to economic growth. What would we say if... Anybody in the Obama administration said that a massive government expenditure of any type was key to economic growth. But maybe this is different because it's dealing with infrastructure, which, you know, the country does have infrastructure needs. So what do you think, Todd? Fake news or not? I'm glad you started off by reminding us who he is because as a civil servant— I'm I'm probably give, capable of giving him as much grace as I'm capable of giving anybody. It's true news to the. I, I think he absolutely believes that. I don't think there's any deception or lying on his part there. Furthermore, in terms of things the federal government 
can do, relatively speaking, and I, I can't, I can't answer this question in any way, but lowering the bar as far as possible. But it go, it speaks to what you said. There are legitimate infrastructure needs, and they go pretty high to the top of the list when you compare it to the other things the federal government spends it on. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, we do need better trade deals. That's probably some of the truest news we've heard out of a public servant in quite some time. Okay. Aaron, what do you think? So, first of all, when I heard this clip, I was thinking of all the things that you reminded us about. And 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 vote, uh, he stood there uh, and, you know, he stood his ground against uh, Bernie Sanders. But when I heard that clip, I thought, Russ, what you doing? I mean we've needed this trillion dollar well the, the sentence that we've needed this trillion dollar infrastructure package for 4 years it's key to our economic growth then why have we, why have we been growing why has the economy been growing for the last 4 years in the first place and then there's also this you asked what we would say if the obama administration's omb guy said this exact same thing and here's what we would say and i don't mean this to be cute or i'm not trying to be funny uh, here's what we would say, and that's why we need to vote for Mitt Romney. I'm, and that's a totally that's a totally different conversation, but that's yeah. what we would say. Yeah, it, it's it. What's interesting about this is that infrastructure is different than most other things. And could you make an argument that that, that you know dilapidated bridges and roads and things of that nature, what they do to slow down the 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 um, the transportation of commerce and goods and services and and the increased costs ha- can have an economic impact. I, I mean, yeah, and I don't know that you can you know explain that in a thirty second soundbite that yeah. probably requires a longer explanation. And, and what was he a, reacting and, and, to? By the way, yeah. I have no idea. Like, what was the premise of the question? It, the premise it, of the question is: Are you guys going to govern now that impeachment is done? Are we going to govern? That was the premise of the question. There is a a, a legit. A legitimate um, but very, very long <laughs> philosophical discussion about what the role of government is in mm-hmm. this conversation as well, which we probably don't have time to do as far as, you know, is it the government's job to actually build roads and to maintain them as well? That's a whole nother can of worms. How about if we're talking infrastructure, how about that wall? Let's talk infrastructure. Let's yeah. really talk infrastructure. Okay. Next clip. But how do you explain... The performance in Iowa, and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're... you're... A lot of what he's saying seems to be really pathos-based and very sad. Uh, We have heard a lot about deaths and cancer and people losing their jobs. And to me, he doesn't really seem very solution-oriented. And I don't think he has the momentum to carry this to a national election. So there is the woman that uh, he he called her a lying, dog-faced pony soldier. Which the crowd, a lot of them giggled. I mean, maybe that's some kind of joke. I don't know. From, I, I kind of want to look at that and say, okay, boomer. I don't know what that means, you know? Um, but that's, the woman he said that to got so mad, she went from the Biden rally to Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Uh, and she says, Aaron, he's a, he's basically a very sad little man. What are yeah. your thoughts? Fake uh, news or not? Uh, first of all, some context for that, con- uh, that, that, that comment that Joe Biden made. Biden's spokespeople later said his line was taken from a movie scene in which a Native American chief refers to John Wayne as a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Biden has used the line before and attributed it to a movie starring Wayne. However, it appears it may have come from the 1952 Tyrone Power film Pony Soldier, the New Hampshire primaries on, on you know, today. Um, well, so, well, hold, you, you got a comment on that, don't you? Come half on. the time he can't remember where he is, and this time he gets so esoteric that it's like go over the heads of everybody. Well, I mean, I think it's it's been it's it's been common in in over the over the generations in Hollywood to confuse Tyrone Power with John Wayne. Cut him some slack. Yeah. Uh, so actually, so she's absolutely right on the money. I don't even think I don't even think she knows uh, how much she is. It, it is sad. If this was your grandpa out there, just just embarrassing himself. Yeah. I, I'm sorry to say it, and we don't mean that to be mean, but that's what this has devolved to. And I said on Twitter this morning. You know, the 10% of time when it seems like Joe Biden is actually coherent and lucid, it's spouting the leftist garbage that you know, we thought he was supposed to be an alternative to. So it's sad. It just from a human level, it, it is really sad. And you see there, Todd, what happens when your entire, it goes back to what we said last hour, when your whole argument is about electability and the first time there's an election, you get trounced. What's the, what's the question he takes there? What's her question? Well, I need you to win. You can't he, because he doesn't offer you anything else. That was the whole gambit of his candidacy. What are your thoughts? Well, it, my, I'm going to assume that she is there genuinely as a Democrat, and it, this is not some weird Fox plant or something like that. Although, if it is brilliant, it is brilliant. But I don't want to very well that. played by the uh, people over there at, uh, at Fox News. If she's yes. a, a genuine Democrat, I go back to what we talked about. Uh, I think it was just last week with the the Iowa caucus goers, uh, the one who didn't know Pete Buttigieg was gay in that conversation. If your complaints are that uh, a candidate is pathos based and sad and negative or through, that's that whole party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have no complaint. This is a you problem. It's not just Joe. Move on over to the next candidate. Pay close attention. Same. That's same. See, that's, that's same. But but, he, but she also I said want to push back. Go on ahead, Todd, Aaron. Go quick. ahead, Todd. Yeah. I I did hear uh, Pete Buttigieg though say that the shape of our democracy is the issue that shapes every other issue, and that seems really happy and uplifting. Of course, right before that, he was extolling the virtues of late term abortion. But still, I you know it's not all. If you squint, yeah. and look really hard. She she did, though, add a, a clarification to that, though, Todd. She said that uh, he doesn't offer any solutions, meaning that he, he goes he talks about how terrible everything is and he emotes all the time, but then he doesn't offer any real solutions. In other words, could that be construed as he doesn't, you know, he doesn't he, he doesn't promise me the socialist utopia that, say, Bernie Sanders does. So, well, and that would make her happy i i suppose it's it's so it's not really about his happiness it's about you're happy you yeah. you you can't just be as sad as you want to be as long as it gives me yes. the chris matthews tingle yes okay a- absolutely yes yeah you okay. bet all right um let's go to another chris this is a showdown whose time has unfortunately come chris wallace versus mayor pete <laughs> 
You not only want to decriminalize marijuana, you want to decriminalize all drug possession. You say that the better answer is incarceration. I mean, it's rather treatment, not incarceration. Right. That's right. But isn't the fact that it's illegal to have, to possess meth and heroin, doesn't that, at least in some way, the fact that it's illegal, act as a some deterrent to actually trying it in the first place? Well, I think the main thing we need to focus on is where you have distribution and, and uh, uh, the, the kind of harm that's done there, where, yeah, of course it's important that it remain illegal, but... But you, uh, well, for, you're, you're, for you would decriminalize it, so it wouldn't be illegal. Possession should not right. be dealt with through incarceration. And, and but you're, you would say that possession of heroin is not illegal? Is not going to be dealt with through incarceration. But your, your, your website says decriminalize it would yes. not be illegal yes or it could be a misdemeanor the- after watching that the first time todd i needed tp for my bunghole so what do you think chris wallace versus mayor pete not not the debate this country needs but perhaps the debate that it deserves uh this is all fake news because the real essence of this is it's amazing that trump and republicans have gotten to the left of the Democrats in criminal justice policy mm-hmm. that's become effective, ring true with the American people. Uh, um, we're hearing it within uh, the black community on, you know, what is pejoratively called uh, jailbreak, criminal justice re- reform, things of that nature. That's Daniel's analysis of it, y- yes. Yes. Uh, it's, I, I, I don't think, I, Chris Wallace I is just like, he's just saying things. He, the, the, that question, just saying it over and over again out loud, is not, is not really getting to it. I mean, I, I'm I'm here. I'm stuck defending Pete Buttigieg on this one only because, like, what you you don't know what the motivation is for Chris Wallace just saying this over and over again. Why uh, does he assume? And I'm not arguing for or against it that this is a bad thing when when he is clearly pete is trying to clear up the fact that and maybe maybe i was unclear on my uh page but he's clearly saying over and over again i don't think you should go to jail for possession this isn't even a new or revolutionary idea that idea has been around for a while again i'm not defending it but uh, it's it's just trying to clarify if chris wallace is being heroin Because why, why we got this opioid crisis and everything else, right? So you're, I mean, we did heroin. You're okay. If people own heroin, they don't go to jail for owning heroin. And we, and we just passed in Colorado and it continues in other places where, uh, marijuana, I mean, the trend is going in that direction. I think Chris Wallace's like umbrage at it, I I think is fake news. I would not make these legal myself, but I, I don't, I think this is a pretty, tin-eared conversation that they're having there yeah i i mean there 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 are there are many levels to this (laughs) i'm trying to decide which one to go on that that entire exchange that entire exchange is total fake news i i just first of all you're 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 trying to you're you're trying to corner a guy who's not even the mayor anymore of of South Bend, Indiana. You're trying to pin a guy like that down on where he stands on the legalization of hardcore drugs. 
Uh, oh, wow. That's, that's, that's the kind of discourse that I'm here for. I, I mean, the, the, and we've, we've pilloried uh, Chris Wallace before on, on the show, and rightfully so most and of we'll the time. And we'll continue to do so. And we will continue to do so. At least I will. But that, that entire conversation, we are taking that thing seriously. Seriously. And I agree with Todd. That's the direction things are going. But it's the, the one-time mayor of South Bend, Indiana, on Fox, talking to an audience of people who are probably never going to vote for him in a million years, being grilled by a guy who's probably never going to vote for anybody. Uh, Fox News viewers will vote for in a million years about what his position on legalization of hardcore drugs are. I mean, that, guys, that is, that is 50 shades of ridiculous. And one more thing. The amount of time you spend on that should pale in proportion. And it affects, there's no doubt that that issue affects the black community. But if we want to talk about the black community as it relates to Pete Buttigieg, ask the question, Chris. Ask the uh, and, question. And, and Chris's defense, which I don't say very often, we did have a clip of him doing that about a month or two ago with Pete Buttigieg, remember? He did ask him. You still don't have any black support? Why? He did ask him huh? that. Yeah. And we're getting, it's more relevant now than ever. He just won the Iowa caucus. Agreed. Well, maybe. You or, might have won it. We don't know. I got to go back to the Russ vote thing on infrastructure spending. We've gotten a couple of interesting responses to this in real time I want to share with you. Uh, This is from Richard who says, the fact that roads in California are clogged by construction workers and equipment paid for by Obama's, quote, shovel-ready infrastructure package, unquote, leads me to believe this slowing of commerce without infrastructure spending argument is garbage. That's one reply. it, It can be. It's not like automatically let's spend money on infrastructure and that's... In, in has some holiness to it. I agree, absolutely. It's it's what it's Chris for. Chris Field, who's one of our senior editors here at The Blaze, just tweeted to me, we don't have to imagine how the right would react to an Obama pitch for infrastructure spending. Look how we reacted to the stimulus plan and Obama's shovel-ready's shovel-ready jobs infrastructure plan in his first term and then the $300 billion plan in his second term. That's also true, but yeah. it's also, see, that's this is all lazy all the way around. I mean, d- do we really need bridges and roads or not? And what do they cost? And who's responsible for building them? That, that's just a grown-up question that has a grown-up answer. Uh, and both sides can attempt to answer it if they want to. And neither one is necessarily a right answer. I mean, politically right or politically left. It's just the answer. Do we Here, need it or not? What does it cost? Here's, here's the reason why we can't answer that question. Because most of the time, these pieces of legislation are really about individual parties greasing the palms of their pet donor classes constituency groups okay you want to talk about a dome uh, like a the yeah like a grassley's agrarian dome in the yeah, middle like of charles grassley yeah. wanted to build yeah. an indoor rainforest yes in Cedar that's Rapids what it was yes, yeah. yes so you know all my family is and my wife's family are all pretty much in two places iowa and michigan and over the 20 years that Amy and I have been married together and then going back to my childhood, I have made the drive from Des Moines, Iowa to Grand Rapids, Michigan or Ann Arbor, Michigan. I cannot tell you how many times and back. All right. I've either been in the car or driven it myself. It's, it's, in, it's in the triple digits probably. They have been working on a same stretch of Interstate 80, the most traveled interstate in America. And it's that it's just it's the one just outside of Chicago where the Oasis is at. Okay, they've been working on that one stretch of there's been road construction there since I remember the first time I got the Joshua Tree cassette 
riding in the back of of Dave and Vicky's '86 Pontiac Skyhawk, and rock and and listening to you two's The Joshua Tree when I was 14 years old. You two three years ago went on a world tour to commemorate the 30th anniversary of that album. All right. I mean, they, they, have, they have not fixed these roads in Illinois, the same five to 10 mile stretch since I, rec- since I started liking girls, okay? For the right reasons, all right? So, I, I mean- So uh, what you're saying is the infrastructure week on the left is now the infrastructure week on the right and their beards have grown, all grown longer overnight? Well, that, that remains to be seen. I mean, now, who are, who's- is this really about fixing infrastructure? And is this really about, hey, your union guys really came out big for me in the last election, so let me do you a solid here, all right? Because that's what these things, that's why we can't have an adult a conversation about them. Agreed. Because most of the time, they're for their political grift. That's really what they are, all right? And it's, it's, it's infrastructure on the left, and then it's, um, um, it's economic development on the right, now, what is unique about this situation with Trump is we have a is we have a Republican president, albeit not, albeit not a traditional one. We have a Republican president that is that has been very vocal, although he hasn't done much about it substantively. But he's been very vocal about not being for corporatism, but being for you know uh, being more populist. So, would we actually get something done, or would these just be more? Uh, union donor giveaways, but that's one of the problems we've had with this conversation for so long, and it's why we we keep having these infrastructure programs, and yet and yet we're we're told the next year or two or three later we have crumbling infrastructure. So where the hell did all the money we just spent go on that? Right? That's well, we keep, that's the question. We keep spending the money to justify why we need to ask and take more money. Exactly, I mean, it's yep. vicious. All right, now this one is not from someone. This next clip is not from someone who is. Um, who claims to be speaking to what's left of America. But given what he has to say, I I, I wanted to make an exception here this week. Watch this clip. I've been critical of of Bernie and and Warren on some of them, or particularly on immigration, particularly on... Uh, Yes, I, I think it's bad politics. And also, I'm not for that much... Socialism. I always say socialism, capitalism plus what we have. People forget we already have a lot of socialism in this country, and I'm for most of it. You know, Medicare and Social Security and stuff like that. But a wealth tax? Can I say a word for the wealthy, please? Because I've been very poor. I've, <laughs> I woke up with roaches crawling across my face for a couple of years, so I don't feel bad about having money. And I can't remember the last year when I didn't pay over 50% to the government. I mean, California has insanely high state tax. So you add the 39 plus 13 or something. You're already over. So I'm already giving you over half. And what I've managed to save after you took over half, now you're going to come after that with a wealth tax? I, I think there are more better ways to get the money. We do have a horrible income inequality system. But, you know, yes, you can even threaten <laughs> a good liberal like me. Bill Maher sounded like George Harrison singing Taxman on the Revolver album no back in 65 kidding. right there. Aaron, you get this one first. Yeah, so we've talked about the difference between uh, be- between liberals and progressives. Liberals who are, are people who 
you know, say, uh, you know, the government should allow you to do uh, what uh, God says is wrong and progressives say uh, the government should force you to do what God says is wrong. And my chickens are coming home to roost. Um, People like Bill Maher, who really is a liberal, they've been playing footsie with covetousness, the covetousness brigade for their entire careers. And now those chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, roost. Covetousness is now going to start playing footsie with the people like Bill Maher. And it's a reminder again uh, of Adams. Uh, the Constitution was, uh, was designed for a moral and religious people. Mm-hmm. It's wholly inadequate for any other. Uh, it wasn't the Constitution that Adams was worried about changing. It was the people. And that's another – I think that, that – that exchange there or that little monologue from, from Bill Maher is, is another reminder of that. Because even right now, Bill Maher, Bill Maher compared to where the Democratic Party is going and where progressivism is in, in the West, especially in America right now, he seems like he's on our side. But really, he, he's, he's still not. You're reminded of that. And now he's played footsie with this monster that's now about to mess right. with him. And I don't like seeing that. I mean, the, the dude, you know, if that's true about waking up, having cockroaches run across, scurry across his forehead, what a great st- story. What a great American success story Bill Maher is. But unfortunately for him, um, the, 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 the base of people that he's played with and the ideas that he's played footsie with, they're now coming home. Yeah, what, what, what guys like Bill Maher, they, they want America, they, they still want to live in America. And they're 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 being confronted with the fact that a lot of these leftists they have curried favor with, as you said, don't. Todd, you get this last clip. It is conservative media's all-time favorite Democratic presidential candidate, Tulsi Gabbard. There's there's two really important issues as as it relates to Trump's assassination of Soleimani. Number one, you call this it was an assassination. An it it was an assassination. Uh, it was an act of war taken by President Trump without any authorization or declaration of war from Congress, as per the Constitution. Uh, This is a very serious issue that needs to be addressed. And number two, the results, the consequences of this action have undermined our national security. Thoughts and prayers to whoever was booking up until about 20 minutes ago, all of Tulsi Gabbard's conservative media appearances or not, Todd? What do you think, fake news or not? Well, I'll address the part. It's fake news. When she answers, it's an assassination, and then says it's an assassination, we're meant to infer because it didn't get approval from Congress. That those are that's a non sequitur. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with whether it, it maybe it is an assassination, but it has absolutely zero to do. I'm pro with, assassination if that with, was with an assassination. Well, either way, it's just that's in, that's that, a shirt we should sell at for, the Blaze Store. Pro assassination <laughs> for somebody that on some tough issues and his, somebody who has been fear pretty fearless in taking on Hillary Clinton, her own party, that that's just a nothing. She said nothing uh, there. Can I, if with the second, Bill Maher is what we were talking about yesterday with Bernie Sanders in a good economy, why he can't be Trump. People like that, because this is the great irony of materialism. A materialistic framework ends up bleeding into all of the progressive thinking and wish casting. And you, you, you want to virtue signal all of that stuff, but you still like your stuff. 
the upper middle class loves their stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they're not going to go full socialism. They they they're like, no, I'll tell you, I'll I'll say any can become an Audi and all that stuff. I'll say it. I'll say it. But I'm taking what's mine. They think that way, and that's why in a good economy, Bernie won't win. I still get to send my kids to private yes, school. Yes. I still get to have armed security. I I still get to have. I mean, those plebeians down there at the bottom of the hill. You know, the what they say rolls on the bottom of the hill with their mouths open, right? They don't, but we still get that stuff up here, right? And Bernie's like. Uh, no. Yeah. We'll come back. Pop Culture Tuesdays next. Stay tuned. Mainstream media, big tech companies. In fact, I was just reading today, YouTube is buying as is a mid six figure investment in the Young Turks. That's legit. Yeah, yeah. you bet. Yeah, uh, we know Twitter banning political advertising because I mean it's redundant. If you're a lefty buying political advertising on Twitter with the way their algorithms work and their Twitter moments give you all your talking points trending every day, you're you're too dumb to win. You're you're you're, you're donating to something that's already donating to you. Why would you do that? Okay. Uh, we are running out of allies to do business with in this culture, which is why when we have the option of aligning with people who can give us the same exact service as others without using the money we give them against us, take full advantage of it. One of those such places is Patriot Mobile. It's the only cell phone service that donates a portion of your monthly bill to the organizations and causes fighting for the same values that you also believe in as well. And with plans starting as low as $25 a month, why not make the switch? They've got plans too that come with unlimited talk and texting and the same reliable nationwide service as the big wigs, but without all those hidden fees that uh, that uh, bother you and pester you at the exact same time. So, hey, Patriot Mobile knows that switching mobile phone carriers can be difficult, stressful. They want to make it as easy for you as possible. You can keep your number, bring your own phone, buy a new one, whichever you prefer to do. But again, you'll get the same nationwide reliable service, but in investing in the causes you believe in instead. Go to patreonmobile.com slash Steve and get a free activation when you use the offer code Steve. Free activation with the offer code Steve plus a free gift when you open a new line. A free gift and... Free activation with the offer code Steve at patriotmobile.com slash Steve, patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or give them a call, 972-PATRIOT, and you can talk to their U.S.-based customer service the old-fashioned way, 972-PATRIOT. So Sunday night were the Oscars, the lowest-rated Oscars in the history of uh, them being uh, broadcast on ABC News, the least-watched ever. The best picture winner was a foreign film. I, is this the first time a foreign film has won since, uh, since like Slumdog Millionaire? Has that, a foreign film won well, best picture since then? Well, I heard them say foreign language, not foreign film. Okay, yeah, because Slumdog was in English, yeah. but it was just it was produced over but in then Hollywood. Life is beautiful. One was that a what, best picture? No, winner? that one best actor. Didn't okay. it? it wasn't yeah. best. So I think it might be best foreign language to ever win best picture okay first foreign language to ever win best picture okay gotcha all right so parasite wins best picture on sunday night and i did watch this movie uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, my wife and i watched it 
And as we get into Pop Culture Tuesday here, when we look at the intersection between popular culture and conservatism, let me say this about the movie. I want to give it a compliment first. It, it did something that is difficult to achieve. It, it's a very limited group of films, okay? Um, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon's on the list. The Passion is on the list. Um, Let the Right One In is on the list. Good Night, Mommy, which is a great horror film, is on the list, okay? Those are films that were good enough that they convinced me to read them all the way to the end because they were in a foreign language. So you had to read the movie. I, even though it's odd because I am a multitasker, as a lot of you know, and Todd and Aaron know, working with me every day, but it is distracting to me. I feel like if I have to lower my eyes to read the movie, I'm missing the full visual impact of what's happening on screen. Does that make any sense at all? It makes sense. I get over it in like 20 minutes and then you're just used to it. Okay. Yeah, it's a distraction to me. And, And let's face it, a lot of foreign language films come from unchristian or post-Christian cultures. So a lot of the worldview and messaging of the film just, I'm not its target demo for anyway. So throw in the worldview barrier and then you add the language barrier to it as well. That's why I guess the passion probably doesn't even count. It's in a foreign language, but a dead one, Aramaic. All right. So you throw in the worldview barrier as well as the language barrier and I'm, I'm your ugly American. I'm not your target demo for this. All right. But because of the hype surrounding this film and, re- and reading what I said, what I what I uh, read it was about, I thought this is a this film is heavy on worldview, including some of the worldview that we're debating in our culture right now. So let me give it a shot. It is compelling. It's well written. It is well acted. Um, however, it, it, after getting to the end of it, it I I didn't feel compelled to to put it somewhere in my top 10 or even honorable mention for 2019 and, and, and go back and, and, and do a retcon. And here's why I'm going to, I don't want to, I don't know how many of you are going to watch this. All right. So spoiler alert. Okay. I'll, and I'll, I'll try not to spoil everything, but I, I think this film has some understanding the cultural barrier. Cause I don't know the socioeconomic conditions of North of South Korea. I don't live there, you know? But um, I think it, it it does some socioeconomic commentary in a very smart way. The, the movie's about a family of grifters who are basement dwellers, live on the wrong side of town, and they basically just run a, a series of scams to pay their bills. And um, the the son's friend is is has been tutoring the pretty daughter of a very wealthy family that are that got wealthy in the in the in the uh, in the tech boom, and he's been tutoring her, and and now he's going to go off to university, and and, they, and the family's asking him to recommend a tutor, and he wants to recommend his friend, who's the son in this family of grifters, because the the kid's really smart and could have gone to university, but he just prefers to pull cons, um, and so the kid uh, decides he's going to the son decides he's going to be her tutor, but then he being that he's the son of a con man and a grifter himself, he recognizes an opportunity. And slowly but surely, this family begins, his family begins to worm their way into this wealthy family's lives, where they pretend to not know each other, but they take all of the jobs of serving this family. Driver, maid, 
tutor. It's and you know art the psychotherapist while pretending not to not to know each other. And um, and and it there's they're not really heroes in the film. It it kind of takes the premise of the prince and the pauper, but kind of reverses it where you know. Um, given access to that level of wealth and influence, they just become decadent and just want to, you know, lavish themselves and spoil themselves. They don't do anything noble with it. They just want, they have materialistic want. Like they, they don't want what the wealthy family wants for noble gain. They just want it for personal gain. So it's more of an anti-hero film. But then at the very end, it takes a very dark turn and it becomes some kind of weird clockwork orangey. Yeah, I think you told me, Todd, before the show that uh, the Korean director is heavily influenced by, by Quentin Tarantino. So it does, you know, the, the only time I think I audibly heard the voice of God speak to me in, in my faith walk is when I put in the DVD to Kill Bill Volume 1 and about 10 minutes in, I, I really heard a voice tell me, you need to turn this off, Okay. And um, and I can see that it had that the ending becomes kind of kill Billy. It it just becomes odd, and and violent, and unnecessarily so. I mean, it's just weird. And then salvation in the film is found at the end through the son imagining himself as being um, as going off to university and becoming rich. And that's how he's able to free his father for his crimes. And I don't want to to tell you more would spoil the the whole movie. So I won't tell you that, but the, the movie finds salvation in materialism. I mean that, that the final pitch of the film is essentially what Michelle Williams said at the golden globes a a month ago that, Hey, I'm I'm happy that I killed my kids that I could be here looking glamorous tonight and accepting this award. That's essentially the message of the movie. And so I, I can see why the industry that for 20 years applauded Harvey Weinstein while he was an open secret molesting and raping women, um, I, I can, you know, because it was, he could also get them booked uh, in major motion pictures. Like Ricky Gervais said at the, at, the, at the Golden Globes, if ISIS started a streaming platform, you'd call your agent. I, I can see why that town loves the movie. Okay, but um, I thought the ending went way off the rails and ruined a lot of the smarter social commentary that the film uh, spends the first two thirds of, of its script uh, exposing you to. And that's why I, I found the film disappointing at the end. It's, I haven't seen enough of the films to judge officially whether it's best. You mean picture. the other movies nominated for best yes. picture? Okay. I still doubt very much that this is the best picture, but I, and I purposely downplayed before the show when you asked me about something uh, because I wanted to get your reaction in real time. I have a much different take. Okay, good. good. I, I was I was bored in the first half of the movie. Although well acted, well done, but I thought it was just going to be a classist screed. Mm-hmm. Look at these rube rich people. They're just going to be taken advantage of by the real smart people, the uh, the underclass, and if they only had a shot. But then once that underclass, once all four of them get together in the house. And they go on their little drinking bridge, and it really kicks off that second half of the movie that gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it just this has not, uh, now. I don't know what his intent was. He seems like a, he's a smart, capable actor, but we talk all the time. Like, did they know what they were doing? The, the, the these people are ju- they're no better in any way. They are just 
the people that they claim to loathe. That Agreed. Are, that yeah. uh, that upper class and everything. They the, even the the girl who's so thinks she's so smart when she gets drunk. She she has like daddy issues. She wants all the attention. Uh, of her daddy and and the father there's this there's this speech he gives to his son after the blank has kind of hit the fan and the son says what's your plan and the the, the father who's raised yes. two kids to be grifters he says my plan is to have no plan he sounds yep. like the master like if you have a plan you're always going to get disappointed but if you have no plan you always roll with it okay sounds good well that plan ended up leading to the broader chaos of that second half of the movie, which all of them were trying to desperately escape. They weren't embracing. It, it went nuts. Which, and specifically in his own life, if it, it could not overcome. The, he overheard what the rich people were saying about how he smelled. And it caused him to basically go nuts. The, it, I, I found all of the chaos uh, that came that was born out of that. Yeah. There's a certain, um, shock value to it all, but the purpose I saw behind it is to show that, you know, you, you, you think that the people who had stuff who were just living, they, they were a family who had its, had its issues, uh, weren't great people by any stretch of the imagination, it would seem, uh, but their life w- was not leave, leading to the chaos that clearly spun out of control from, fr- from the grifters. Uh, they destroyed lives on a level that is is really the the story of the thing that all they're preaching about uh, what it, the the stupidity that comes with having wealth. At the end, it was I I see you and raise you. You've made the t- the notion of class and wealth an idol. It's not about that. It's, Agreed. Uh, it's ultimately it doesn't say it in the show. But it's you're left asking. It, you're, it, there's got to be more. There has to be more to life. I, I I had the I see. I don't think we're that different at all. I just enjoyed it more. You you enjoyed it less the further it got. I enjoyed it more, not because of the the chaos. But it, it sounds told- like where we deviated is I enjoyed it less at the end because I thought it was going to say some of the things that you just mentioned, and then it, it didn't, and it just that. devolved into nihilistic. You know, uh, clockwork orangey, just, you know, screw, polemic. When, but you actually enjoyed it because it didn't do those things. Because it, 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 see, I don't know enough about the director and Korean culture, but from, from the worldview of, of the, of the industry in the town that gave him that award the other night, he, he either he is openly promoting nihilism, okay, openly promoting it. Or he Ricky Gervais them in that he he turned their own worldview around on them and I'm, and and said, you know, these people, you, these causes you're virtue signaling for, they're not any better. They're right. you know, and, and if and if you if and they just take the wealth redistribution upon yes. themselves and they're not and then it doesn't yes. make them better people whatsoever right. at it. all. That's none of point. it. They're just as dumb, just as flawed. And so I you know, I, I, I don't know if, you know, if, because it's just when you, when you are confronted with the reality of human nature, you have only two options in front of you. When you finally accept the, the systemic flaw we have in us as a species, the, the, that we are all fallen from grace, you have, you have two options. A, 
try to now earnestly find out why and what can be done about it. Or B, just retreat into just just nihilism at that point. Okay. And 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 I don't and I thought there was ample evidence in the plot that the the latter was the case with how graphic it gets at the birthday party and how stupid and how dumb and everything else that I, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't convinced he was well, doing, he was turning it around on them, but saying, you know what? The, the place is terrible. So, you know what? Let's, let's just watch the world burn. Well, but, but it's in the context of that speech. You're, you're not having a plan ultimately led to all that at the very end of the movie as you say the boy's plan to get a job to make money to try to spring his father out it's clear if you look at the that's a plan Mm -hmm. and it's the plan he could have had all along before this thing and just had a life and bought the house that now he had to buy anyways for desperate means and he could have had you know normal people problems and he could have been ignorant in many ways just like that rich family was but they weren't out they weren't out killing people. They weren't out hurting people. They just were a normal, ignorant family that happened to have some money. I mean, the dad was not, it showed him at his job. He had some high-end tech job. They went there. He wasn't a, a terrible person. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I, I kept waiting for them to show the grand sequel because the, the, the incident and like, what's the dark underbelly? There was no dark underbelly of that family. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't. So it was really about the the outrageous decadence of the parrot. I mean, that the title is pretty dead on. So your read of this is that Holly, you know what? You think this is the Asian Get Out? I haven't seen I Get you. Out yet. So no, but that but your read on this movie is my read on Get Out. That the movie which they also, you know, uh, feted at the Oscars a few years ago. Yeah. The movie is about the racism of left white liberal America about how white liberal America is some of the worst racist of them all and only care about black people when they get to use them. Literally the villain in the film is using the blackness, draining black people of their blackness for his own and, and, yeah. and their own white liberal usages. That's, that's, that's what they, the monsters do in the movie. And your argument is that in this movie, he did the Asian version of this. That you guys are up here virtue signaling and I'm up here talking in this foreign language and you think this is a movie about class warfare and it really isn't about, uh, it's, it's not really about that at all based on what I hear you saying. That you think he get out, that he gave him the Asian get out and they fell for it. Yes, I guess I am. I'm, I haven't seen Get Out, but you I always appreciate what you said about that. I would love it now if you would see Get Out. Okay, I promise now. Okay, and, and tell me if you think that, that Parasite is the Asian version Okay. Of, of the Korean version of Get Out. Okay. Aaron, you have seen Get Out. Did you, Indeed. but you haven't seen this movie. Did, did, is, is that the read you got that Todd thinks this is kind of the Asian Get Out? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where you're accidentally, well, whether or not it's intentional. And I, I think now Get Out was mm, when you, absolutely intentional. Was, I'm not so sure about that anymore. When you look at the movies that he's made since then, and then the original ending versus the, the the ending that most people saw, which is one that you saw, mm-hmm. I'm not. I I just I'm not sure that. Not Come on, sure. the villain looks in the camera and says, "I would have voted for I've voted for Obama twice. I'd have voted him for a third time if I could." Yeah, can't get yeah. more intentional than that. Well, yeah, that, but then again, but uh, regardless, yes, I think I think Todd is maybe uh, whether it's intentional or un- unintentional with Parasite making the same observation. Because if it's the Asian get out, I might change my entire mind about what I think of the film then. 
Plus, you had me so prepared for a level of weirdness hmm. that it was actually less weird than I was prepared <laughs> for. And it was weird. Interesting. All right, we're going to stick around and do some overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. 